Hello there, and welcome to part two of the Progressive Christianity series here at Monarch Ministries on the Monarch Ministries podcast. My name is Ken from Little, um, and this session we talked about universalism and its consequences and whether or not it was scriptural. And so I hope you enjoy this episode of the Monarch Ministries podcast. And again, if you have any questions, um, feel free to email us at monarch.ministries2021 at gmail.com. Um, or you can always join our Discord server, and the link will be in the description. So I hope you enjoyed the episode, I hope you get something out of it, and thank you for listening. Alright, welcome to Monarch Ministries tonight. Um, we are doing part two of our Progressivism, Progressive Christianity series. So last week we talked about um, their view on the fall of man, and more broadly, what they believe truth is, how they believe it's malleable, how they believe that that humans are mini-gods. Um and they that that humanity can be the authors of truth and that's what being made in god's image means and we touched briefly on on the implications of that how it's very close to what satanism is how it's very close to, to some other religions um and so today we're going to dive into one of their um most core beliefs um and it would be the opposite of of the christian belief it'd be the opposite of what christians believe um, to, to the most part. <clears throat> um, but we're going to talk about um, a doctrine that they call universalism. So um, before we talk about it, we have to define it. Universalism is basically the idea um, that everyone was saved by what Jesus did on the cross. Everyone. Um, and so there's no such thing as hell. All of us are going to heaven. Um, everything's, you know, good in the hood. Um, and it, it, it's simply just not true. Um, and it's not true from from Genesis to Revelation. Um, and so, you know, right off the bat, um, in order to affirm this doctrine of universalism, we have to reject um, almost all of Scripture. And that's an ongoing theme with um, <clears throat> with progressive Christianity is the rejection of Scripture. The idea that, you know, I can pick out the verse that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Um but I can't pick out the verse that says the wages of sin is death. And so you ask the progressive Christian, um, what are what are the consequences for, for my sin? What is um, what is the consequence for me defying God and God's will? And their answer would be nothing. Um, their answer would be there there is no consequence. Um, defiance of, uh, of God isn't a real thing. Um, we're all many gods and we all you know, grow and, and, and decide our own truth. And, and, and all of these, these doctrines, all of these things that we're going to talk about going forward are going to, to go back to that main doctrine that we talked about last week where we can decide our own truth, where truth isn't an objective fact of reality, but it's subjective to each person's individual life experience. And um, if, if they can affirm that, if they can make you believe that, then they can throw out um, all sound doctrine, all tradition, all scripture, and and make it seem, you know, fallible and make it seem malleable. Um, but we know that that's not true. And so while the progressive Christian would still say, oh yeah, the Bible's a great book, um, they would also at the same time tell you, but they didn't have all the answers then. But the Bible tells us that it's the direct word of God, um, that scripture's in, infallible, and that scripture's profitable for doctrine for approval, for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of god may be thoroughly furnished uh, unto all good works and so there's a few things that i want to point out here 
um, and, and and I want to start in the doctrinal basis of of universalism, um, and 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 start in that infallibility of scripture, um, and start you know kind of back where we were last week and talk about this idea of truth. So turn if you would to Galatians chapter one. I should start bookmarking my Bible where I want to go. But Galatians chapter one, I want to start reading in verse six. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel of heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we say before, so say I now again, if any man preach to any, any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So <clears throat> there's there's a really pungent statement um, in this in this text here, um, and and it's repeated. He says, um, anyone who comes and preaches another gospel to you than what you've received already, um, than what you already know, let him be accursed. Whether it be me, whether it be an angel from heaven, whether it be another apostle, priest, pope, whoever, um, if anyone comes and gives you a different gospel than what you've already received, then let him be accursed. This this scripture here, this idea that that Paul is putting forth here, um, shows us the the finality of scripture. Shows us that that the reception of scripture is final. Um, that what God wrote in His Word is final, um, and that there's no such thing as developing doctrine. And this idea of universalism would be just that, developing doctrine. See, see this this idea of progressive Christianity um, and and all of their doctrines, everything that they believe, um, rests on the idea of developing doctrine and developing truth and personal truth. But here we see in Scripture that that's not uh, a reality. That's not something that, that we can obtain. Um, because if God is perfect, he is, which he is, then then everything he says um, must also be perfect, and everything and and, and perfection doesn't change. Um, corruption breaks perfection, and if there's any corruption in our doctrine or in our scripture, then it's no longer perfect, and therefore it could not have been breathed out by God. But because truth is objective, because what we believe is objective and true, um, and because the Bible is written by God, it is perfect, and what's written here is perfect and infallible, and no one, not not an angel from heaven, um, not an apostle, not a preacher, not a priest, no one can can come and, and, and teach something that contradicts with what's in scripture without being um, a curse here. And Paul, um, you know, doubles down on that and says it twice. And then in verse 9, or verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So this idea of, of universalism, the, the motive for it is very clearly written here. Um, you know, on a surface level, the motive for universalism is it's a real nice thing to hear. Um, and and I don't want to uh, spend too much time lingering on, on the idea of hell here. I think we're all familiar with hell, that hell is the punishment for, for our sins. Um, that hell is eternal and, and, and hell is where the wicked go, those who, who did not turn to Christ. Um, will will spend eternity, but it's not something we like to dwell on as Christians. Um, it's not something that 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 a lot of pastors like to preach on. Um, it's not something that I like to preach on. But it's something that's doctrinal. It's something that's scriptural. It's something that needs to be taught on, um, and it's something that's important and it's an important doctrine. But 
and, and, and it's important because it leads people to Christ. Um, if you tell someone, hey, um, you can either jump into that pit of snakes or I'll give you an ice cream cone. Everyone's going to take the ice cream cone, right? Um, if you tell someone, hey, you can go and burn in hell for, for, for eternity or you can spend eternity with with a God who loves you, who created you for the purpose um, of being an object of his love so that you would have a relationship with him. Everyone's going to pick heaven um, who, who has a logical brain. Uh, unfortunately, we live in a corrupted, illogical world um, that believes in universalism. But, you know, the, the obvious answer is heaven. Um, and, and, and hell is, is a place that, that was created um, for those those fallen from heaven, Lucifer and his angels who, who fell from heaven, it was created to separate them from God. Um, hell wasn't created for us. Hell wasn't created for people. Um, but it is where those who have chosen to separate themselves from God will spend eternity. And so um, hell is a good way to, to convince people to make the right choice, to choose Christ, to, to choose God. But the universalist... Um, wouldn't have you believe that the universalist, the progressive, would would say no. There's no such thing as as hell. Um, the most vile sinner um, who's who's never turned to Christ, who's never um, believed in Christ, who's never trusted in Christ, can can and will go to heaven because when Christ died on the cross, um, he paid for all sins. Um, and you know. <coughs> Well, that that that's true. Um, that that all people can go to heaven, uh, and that all sins were paid for when Christ died on the cross. However, there's there's qualifiers. There's something that we have to do before we we get to heaven. We have to have faith. Um, we have to trust in God. We have to call upon the name of the Lord. Um, and so you know, I want to go through uh, a few of these popular salvation verses, um, and talk about hey Willie, and talk about why these are necessary to be in the Bible. Um, and I think we already know the answer to it, but, um, you know, it's, it's it's important to see these things in Scripture and to see that there is an alternative to salvation. Um, and so if you would turn with me to Romans chapter 3. And we're going to read several verses in here. All right, we'll start in verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No. No, no, in no wise. For we have before proved under Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are altogether become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. So, right off the bat, we see that everyone, every human, um, has committed sin. Um, we're all vile, we're all filthy, we're all despicable, um, we're all mud-sucking, dirty sinners. And so... It's a, it's a phrase my dad used to use. I didn't I didn't use the whole thing, but he would use it from the pulpit a lot, and for some reason the rest of the phrase is escaping me. Anyway, um, we're all we're all sinners. We're all deserving of hell, um, and 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 we'll see that later on in scripture, and with some other verses that we read. Um, turn to verse twenty twenty three. For all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath sent forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness up for the remission of sins <clears throat> that are passed through the forbearance of God. So, verse uh, 23 tells us that 
you know, again, reiterates that everyone has sinned and then doubles down and says, we're fallen short of God's glory. We're fallen short of God's perfection. And because of that, God had to send Jesus to be a payment, to be a propitiation um, for that sin. And so, you know, based on what we read here in Romans chapter three, we see that everyone sins and Jesus needed to be a payment for that sin. And we know that, that Christ died for us. So Jesus did pay for that sin. So is everyone uh, saved? Is everyone going to heaven? Is universalism correct? And turn to Romans chapter six. We'll start reading in verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we then? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, were, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death? Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. So. Actually, let's keep going a little bit. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead in Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. All right. And we can keep going. This whole chapter is great. Um, and, and there's another verse um, I want to point out in it. But <clears throat> Paul is making distinction here um, about those of us who, um, you know, walk in newness of life, those of us who are saved. Paul's teaching to Christians here. He's teaching to people who've accepted God. And he says, what shall we say then? Should we keep sinning um, that grace may abound? And remember what we read in Galatians 1, if anyone comes to you with any other gospel, with any other teaching, let him be accursed, let him be separated, let him be anathema. Um, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Sin is clearly written in scripture and the Old and New Testaments. Um, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. So he's making a distinction here. He's saying um, that we are dead our, we are dead to our sin. We used to live in our sin. We are now dead to our sin. Um, and then he goes further and he talks about us being baptized in Christ and baptized into his death. And so there's a distinction here. He's talking about people who have been baptized, people who have received Christ, right? Um, baptism is 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 the first act of obedience unto Christ. Um, I'm not I'm not going to teach that that it's required for salvation. Um, but but he's he's making the distinction that those of us that are baptized, those of us that are Christian, um, are dead to our sin. And so there are people who are not Christian who are still living in sin. There is a dichotomy here. There's two separate sides. Okay. So um, verse four. Therefore, we are buried with him. By baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified <coughs> with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So now we've, we've established that we ought to be walking in newness of life because our old man is dead. Um, our old man is the man who lived without Christ, the man who did not turn to Christ, the man who, who has not received Christ's gift yet. So turn down, um, if you will, to me, 
to verse 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we've talked about there being a decision to come to Christ. We've talked about how we were baptized into Christ. We talked about how, um, or Paul talked about how um, our old man is, is, is dead when we receive Christ, how we must walk in newness of life now that we've been baptized with Christ. He likens our salvation um, to what happened to Jesus on the cross. Um, our old man is put to death. The new man is raised again with Christ to live in godliness and holiness um, when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. Um, he, sorry, get some water real quick. When the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us, he um, provokes us unto good works. Um, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And, uh, another popular verse. Um, you cut out there for a minute. Oh, did I? Yeah, you were gone for like 15 seconds. That might have just been while I was turning. Did everyone hear everything I said? Ephesians chapter 2? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, another popular verse. Um, but let's read, <clears throat> starting in, you know, let's just start in verse one and you as he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among who also we had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath even as others but god who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even now we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that the ages to come might he show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace ye are saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So again, there's a distinction made here. And... Um, there, there's a, a, a really clear um, indication in verse 3, among whom also we had our conversation in times past and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the, desi the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Um, again, Paul is teaching to, to Christians here. He's teaching to the church at Ephesus. And, you know, he, he, he tells them, um, you know, we used to be like the other people out there. We used to be like the, the unconvert, unconverted ones who, who walked in our own sin. Um, but now through Christ, we are justified. Now through Christ, we see grace um, through our own faith that we have in him, not because of anything that we've done, um, not because of anything that we've rejected or anything that we've done, but because of our uh, faith, he saved us. And now that we're saved, 
um, we are called unto good works, he provokes us unto good works. And so again, there's a distinction made between the saved and the unsaved. And this distinction is so important um, <clears throat> to see um, you know, what God teaches to us about uh, salvation. If there's two different sides um, of this coin, if there's two different sides of this gift, then we can't um, then we can't assume that <clears throat> that God wants us um, to, to, to fall on the wrong side. We can't be as these others. We have to have this this salvation um, by grace through faith. And, and and the consequence for that is is clearly written in scripture. Turn to Luke chapter 16 if you would. So this is a pretty popular story as well, um, and, and and now you know we saw in in Romans chapter six that the wages of sin is death, and death is this eternal separation from God. This is the same consequence um, that that God imparted on Adam and Eve when they sinned against Him um, and ate of the fruit of the garden, um, because they rejected God in that moment. Their their consequence would have been. Uh, it, you know, an eternal hell if if they had not repented um, of of their <clears throat> um, of their of their belief of, of, of their work of their knowledge um, of their wanting to be like God. Remember, the serpent tempted them and said, "Hey, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God." And if and if they had not um, rejected that idea and and turned back to Christ, then they would have had eternal separation from God. And so, Luke chapter sixteen, and we'll start reading in verse nineteen. Uh, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared some, sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, and was carried away by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that, in th that thou in thy lifetime receivedest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this between us, and there is a great gulf fixed, so that, they which would pass from <clears throat> so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And so, Jesus is teaching here, and he gives a very clear um, representation of what hell is like it gives a very clear representation of what this this place of damnation is like um, and, and he talks about you know the rich man the unconverted um, went into this place of torment went into hell and and you know his, his his torment was unbearable and this man is pleading with Abraham and saying send someone um, from the dead to go and plead with my my five brothers because I don't want them to be tormented as I am tormented and friends again uh, Galatians chapter 1 tells us that 
that the teaching in scripture is 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 true, um, and that anyone who who denies it, anyone who teaches any other gospel, let him be accursed, let him be separated, because the word of God is true and it's potent, and this idea of 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 hell is true and it's potent, and it tells us how um, hell is unrelenting, and it tells us how this man who was a sinner, who lived a sinner, who died a sinner, um, and 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 died rejecting Christ, went to hell, um, and how how fervent he was in in asking um someone to go in and and tell his brothers to to help his brothers be converted to warn his brothers um about this torment the bible is very clear um about this teaching of hell and that's why true christianity is so important because god created us because he wants to love us um god created us because he wants us to have a relationship with him god created us for to be the objects of his love um and God does not want to see us be separated from him eternally. God does not want to see us be separated from him and in hell, um, cursing him and 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 rejecting him. He wants us to be in heaven forever with him, dwelling um, and rejoicing and praising and glorifying him and living as he intended for us in, in that paradise. But this idea of universalism... Um, will take us away from that because the idea of universalism teaches us that we don't have to embrace Christ. We can embrace um, whatever we want to. We can embrace Hinduism. We can embrace Islam. We can embrace Catholicism, atheism, whatever, because God has already paid for us. Um, God has paid for us, but salvation is a gift, and unless a gift is accepted, it's of no effect. And so um, this, this idea of progressive universalism um, is, is a very dangerous doctrine and not one that's founded in scripture, but rather founded in this idea of um, developing truth and the idea that we can determine our own truth and it's not true um, and it's wrong and it's evil to teach and I would warn strongly against anyone who teaches it. So that is the second lesson in um, the Progressive Christianity series. Uh, does anyone have any questions, anything you want to add before we hop off? No, he, he hopped off fast. If not, um, Ben, why don't you pray for us? Whoa! <clears throat> Dear Lord, thank you for uh, this group tonight, guys, and uh, appreciate uh, your word, and pray you'd help us to continue to have uh, good weeks and help us to have productive weeks. And uh, bring us back here on Thursday. In Jesus' name, Amen. 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 All right. Amen. <laughs> good, good session with y'all tonight. Um, you guys have a nice night. I'm going to go to bed. You have a wonderful night. I yeah. will talk to y'all later. Bye. I yeah, said you I'll have a wonderful you. night.